Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Health Theory. Today's guest is Aaron Alexander. He's a manual therapist and movement coach known for his work with some of the world's most accomplished athletes and celebrities. He's also a sought after speaker on the topics of movement and wellness, the host of the top rated Align podcast and the author of the upcoming book, The Align Method. Aaron, there's a lot of alignment uh, concepts in your work. And I would love to know, one, what is the alignment method? What's all that about? And how did it get started? So the align method is, uh, this is going to be a, round away, a roundabout way of describing what the heck the align method is. Um, there's an interesting quote from a philosopher uh, called Alvin Toffler. that said, the successful people of the future will be able to learn, unlearn, and relearn. And so what the align method breaks down is how do we start to integrate more effective principles of movement into literally every aspect of our lives. So that includes the way that you sit, the way that you stand, the way that you breathe, the way that you walk, body language, the way that you communicate, um, sounds that you have in your surrounding environment, all affects your physiology, sight, what you're looking at or not looking at. You know, so we can start to tap into all of these kind of like divergent aspects of movement that have been on the outskirts, but I think are actually the underlying foundation of our health. One of the things that you talk about a lot that I find super interesting is how our body posture, our um, body language yep. is connected to our brain. What are some of the key notions around that that people may not be aware of? Yeah, so there's all sorts of interesting research around body language and, and movement affecting. One, just obviously, you know, like, like dance is one of the most effective tools for staving off uh, cognitive dysfunction. So one, um, your body processes sound or your brain processes sound in a totally separate portion of the brain. Mm -hmm. It has its own storage house for like, ah, music is coming, you know, so okay, I, I turn these other parts on, I start moving and, you know, you have that sensation when you hear like your favorite song and all of a sudden it's like your whole physiology changes, you know, way different than if somebody, you know, is just having a conversation in the background. Mm -hmm. um, so it's literally tapping on a different part of the brain, music, uh, and then coordinating yourself to that sound uh, and then there's the social engagement aspect of dance. So just that connection with another person literally starts to heal your nervous system and puts you into more of like a rest, digest, healing type state. Mm. Um, and you know, you're moving around, you're smiling, you're taking yourself less seriously. You know, so there's a lot of the, the things that we, that the scientific lens isolates, that shines the flashlight on. You know, we have these polysyllabic words of like, this is what's happening. But I think underneath that, dance starts to tap into some of them more like the magic aspects of, a, of being a person. Yeah, uh, so I think a lot about state change and the ability to take control of your 
um, your psychological state. So um, I take a lot of cold showers, and cool. one thing that I found was I started to really hate them. So I had been taking them probably for about eight months, and I was just like, oh, why am I doing this? And like all of my connection to the sort of physiological impact and how important it was began to wane and like my enthusiasm was really beginning to slip for it and so i thought what i should be doing is taking the time instead of just getting into the cold water and really hating it to change my state to use it as a way to practice that state change so i would put on music Mm. that would put me into a more aggressive state of mind so i could sort of attack the cold shower and i found that really powerful as a way to practice my state change which then made the cold showers feel very different. Um, but I find that music is the easiest way for me to radically alter my mood. Yeah. yeah. Do, you have, do you work with people on that at all? Not particularly. You know, so like what I've noticed happen over the years is the uh, conversations that end up manifesting themselves as we're going through different you know, unwinding adhesions and stuck postural patterns, all of a sudden people start, you know, everybody's heard of like going to get a massage and having tears and, you know, sensations like that. Um, But it's fascinating watching the different conversations that a person will start to tap into and having memories of things, moments with their mother or their father. And, you know, so it's, that's been the really interesting thing that I've seen kind of change over the years is um, how our postural patterns really are directly tied into the way that we're thinking, we're feeling. You know, and, and music, I think, is a really great tool to start to tap into that. Talk to me about Rolfing. So I've heard of it, but I don't know a lot about it. What's the core thesis, if that's the right yeah, that's way fine. to... Yeah, so it shares a lot of principles from like osteopathic medicine. Um, and essentially, the focus of it is if we can get the physical body to come into alignment, then you know, essentially we're like stacking up all of the pipes you know, so you're stacking up all of the joints, you're stacking up the, the nervous system tissue and the cardiovascular tissue. You know, so think if like your body essentially is like a pond. You know, so you want all of those hoses for that pump system to be open so that they can flow mm-hmm. and then circulate the fluid inside that pond. And if you can be a well-circulated pond, then you're a healthy pond. Most of us in modern culture are moving in such a way, like the mold that we're housed in is such a way that it kind of closes up and kinks some of those hoses, you know, and then instead of going into more of like a, a structural route, uh, we end up seeking out supplements and seeking out various different type of, you know, rehab and such. But um, the initial foundation of rolfing or osteopathy is that we can align the system and then the body will start to begin to heal itself. And how does rolfing differ from chiropractic? Chiropractic is focusing more on high velocity adjustments. So we're going you're getting that, right. that cavitation, that pop. Um, Rolfing's focusing on connective tissue or fascia, and it's more of like a slow velocity adjustment. Mm. Um, and so it's also emphasizing working in the space between muscles called the muscular septa. So as you're going through and working with that connective tissue, the goal is for your body, all of your sliding surfaces, to be able to do this. Mm. You know, so you, instead of thinking of yourself as like 640-odd muscles, individual muscles, you can think of yourself as like 640 pockets and it's that relationship of those pockets. If they start to get bound and stuck together, then that will change the shape of your movement, mm. change the shape of your movement. Now, all of a sudden you start to have this, um, it's like a rut, you know, so every time you breathe, you're literally practicing that breath pattern. 
You know, so when someone's breathing in such a way that puts them into more of like a fight, flight, panic type place, i.e. your shoulders are hunched up to your, your ears and you're kind of activating all these trap muscles and you're like, could please someone just rub my shoulders? You know, it's like the issue may not be coming from the actual, you know, sternocleidomastoid or trapezius or scalenes or whatever. It might actually be coming from perhaps your physiology still being stuck in some of, what, of like a, a fearful state not feeling safe in the room, not feeling safe in your family, not feeling safe in your life. And so you can start to speak into that felt state of the person manually with you know, physical manipulations or exercise or dance. Um, or you can speak into the physical body via talk therapy and via meditation and via you know, all these other places. So you That's can go top down or bottom up. It's two sides of the same rope. One thing I have found is that the way that I hold myself really does make a difference. When people talk about power posing and things like that, like there's really stuff that actually has a pretty big impact on how I feel in terms of reducing anxiety or making me feel more confident. Um, is that where this all sort of yeah, begins to play itself that's out? That's it. There's, there's various different studies that show like that. Like one interesting one is just by putting a golf tee in around your brow. So, and, and so kind of contracting the brow, kind mm. of putting you into like resting bitch face type position, <laughs> literally starts to make people perceive the world as more annoying and being like, mm. a, I feel a little bit angrier. You know, and the same thing when you uh, raise somebody, you know, so you put a pencil here, here, like that. A horse to stay in that smile position. Mm. All of a sudden, you're starting to tap into that. At least your lifetime, perhaps millennia of lifetime. That when I go like this, it means something good is happening, and it's important. If you are smiling, you want to smile with the your eyes as well. It doesn't need to be in a diabolical way. Uh, fake the smile with your eyes as well, and that will be mm. a more true indication that you're you're actually feeling well. It's yeah. kind of cool. One thing that I've talked before, so anybody who's super familiar with the show will, will have heard this, but um, when my wife and I were early in our relationship, um, I had read a study about the holding the pencil in the mouth and how faking a smile can actually change your neurochemistry. I thought, whoa, that, if that's true, that's really profound. Like, what if I could really change my neurochemistry just by forcing myself to laugh out loud? What are some other things like that that people can deploy in their life to put themselves into a better place? Well, you're kind of describing them. You know, so something that's interesting is as you're describing just simply like laughing, that's been hardwired into your system as something that calms you down. You know, so it's an indication that you're doing well. So there's that part, like the anchored part, but literally just that exhalation, that or or playing a flute or singing. After you do all of those things, you feel so much better because you're literally playing your physiology. Mm. You know, so as opposed to if you get surprised, all of a sudden you go, <gasps> you know, so you're playing your physiology saying, okay, time to light up and go. We got to bust the door down and get out of here versus, <sighs> it's like, oh, we're having sex or we're laughing or we're playing a song, you know, so you can start to tap into all of those ancient physiological systems just through doing something as simple as like having a laugh. You go to like laugh therapy, you go to like laugh yoga or something like that. Very interesting. Um, you have experimented with psychedelics, yes? Sure, yeah. So what is, what's been some of the learnings from that? What is, if anything, the, um, the stripping of the ego or the dissolution of the sense of self? Like, is that your experience and has it been beneficial? Yeah. 
for me, it's been really beneficial. Um, you know, like Ram Das, he talks about to get eventually to become nobody is kind of the goal. Um, you first need to become somebody. And he says, we grow up being raised by professional somebodyers. You know, so like your mom and your dad, and you say like your mom, she's a, she's a mother and she's a cook and she's a, maybe she's a singer and she has all these things that makes her somebody. And your dad, he's an accountant and he drives this nice car and it's somebody. You know, and so that's what we identify with, but all that stuff can be taken away right away. You know, underneath all that somebodyness is that ocean of, oh wow, we're all actually probably kind of similar, we're probably about the same thing. And I've actually had this experience almost like the first time that I've ever experienced uh, really feeling safe and really feeling loved uh, was during experiences, one particular with uh, 5-MeO-DMT, which is, comes from a toad in Mexico. Um, and it's considered to be like one of the most potent psychedelics. And it's a really fast experience. So it lasts for about six minutes. Uh, during that experience, I had a really fascinating moment of feeling as though all of this contraction of, of Aaron, you know, and, and guarding my heart and, you know, having to be perceived as being strong or thinking that I have to be in order to be loved, you know, or I have enough money or I have enough success and all that stuff. Those are all almost like, like binds that I hold. And in that moment, for that span of six minutes, all of a sudden it felt as though all those binds just like washed out my feet. And in that moment, it's like, oh wow, like that's actually the sensation of love. You know, and I think that we can find, I think human connection is an example of a psychedelic experience or maybe going for a, a, a trip, you could travel to another country and it's like, oh, you're, having a, you're going having a trip. You know, so you can have a seven day trip in Italy and that'll change your perspective, detribalize you like Joseph Campbell talk. Um, or perhaps if you don't have the money or the resources at the time, um, maybe you could do a six hour trip and invest in some psilocybin and get a guide and, you know, go up in the mountains and do that instead. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was a fascinating moment was, uh, realizing viscerally in that moment, the amount of fear and contraction that I've carried in my body for, I don't know how long, a long time. How do you bring that back and make that useful in your everyday life? Um, I think practicing compassion is a really How big thing. How do you practice compassion? <sighs> right now, you know, we can do it. You know, seeing like before we were, we were talking, like going past all of the kind of like the busy, how's the weather kind of talk. Um, and connecting with person, a, a person at a, at a deeper level, asking more, um, I don't want to say penetrating questions, but just like going outside of the, the bullshit mm. with people. And I think anytime you're in the grocery line with somebody and they are checking you out or you're getting a coffee or whatever, like really looking at somebody in the eyes, like pay attention to the color of people's eyes. That's actually something that I have in the Align Method book. Um, you know, like, so your mission throughout the, the week, if you want to have homework is each day as you're walking around you're getting your coffee and you're doing an interview or you're going to work. Like when you're walking past a person, make an effort to recognize the color of that person's eyes. Mm. And what you'll notice with that is you'll start to see a really beautiful human being in front of you, you know, instead of, I think like normalcy, like that's a, a disease. You know, if you look around and you think that the world is just, oh, everything's just normal. You know, it's like, no, you're missing out on the miracle of being here right now. 
you know, and that's back to the psychedelic thing. That's like literally exactly what psychedelics, I think a primary purpose of them is it gives you for that moment, it gives you a window in more of a child's mind again, you know, and so as we become adult, everything just becomes these rote kind of, it's just minutiae. We just kind of go through the, go through the steps. Um, and I think that's like the, the buildup of a midlife crisis waiting to happen. You know, you're like, shit, I want my 30 years back. You know, but meanwhile, um, at any time, we can start to actually look in and notice the color of each other's eyes and like experience the magic of that moment. So let's go a little deeper into what makes for the magic in that moment. So if I'm hearing you right, so adulthood is sort of the layering of different identities. It's the sense that I'm supposed to be some way. I'm supposed to sit up straight. It's, it feels like... Um, like you're saying, there's like a calcification of things. Yeah. And man, maybe I'm delusional. I'm truly open to that. But I hear people oftentimes talk about kids as if they are idyllic. And I will definitely subscribe more to. I was such a moron when I was a kid. I did not have deep wisdom. I was fucking terrified. Um, I did not understand myself. I did not understand my place in the universe. Like nothing about childhood felt empowering. Yeah. And in many ways, my adult life is a, is a somewhat violent reaction to how out of control I felt as a kid, how um, the world did not make sense. I was under other people's thumbs. I could not live my life the way that I wanted to. And quite frankly, could not process data in a way that made any fucking sense whatsoever. Yep. So when I hear people talk about that, I kind of get what they mean. Like there is, there is a an openness to kids. There's a sponge-like quality, which can be wonderful, but it can also be deeply problematic because you talk very powerfully about how your environment shapes you just massively. And so when you say like it brings you back in a positive way to like a childlike quality, what, what is that magic? What are the qualities that people should be striving towards? Yeah. So the childlike aspect that I think is, is really great is I like that language of, you know, almost like, like callousing or crystallizing or calcifying. You know, we get calcified in our ways as adults in a culture. You know, we get indoctrinated into a certain perspective and a certain movement and the way that we think and feel. Um, what's pretty interesting about a child is they're directly in relation with nature. They're directly in relation with gravity as well. You know, so from a mechanical perspective, because a child doesn't have all of the muscles to kind of hold themselves into these strange contrived positions, they have to just sit up and find this perfect stack and alignment in gravity. But then there is a time that perhaps a baby needs to walk across a busy road. You know, and then all of a sudden it's pretty darn helpful to be like, I've got some cultural indoctrination that knows how those stoplights work and I'm going to be able to move us across here together. It's almost like it seems like you're taking care of the child, but in fact, you know, obviously the child is just an extension of you. And in many cases, the child is taking care of the parents, you know, because they're showing them that side of compassion and love and, you know, being completely, uh, sometimes uncomfortably honest with the situation. You know, so I think that not to romanticize being a child um, or being an adult, it's usually like somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. So I think they both have, have value. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Oh. Talk to me about that notion of our environment has these massive repercussions on us. What should people be aware of that maybe they're not? What is sort of an ideal environment? And maybe that changes from time to time. Yeah, um, so one thing, uh, fall risk for elderly. You know, recently in an interview just a few days ago, I was like literally brought to tears thinking about the idea of my mom 
falling on the ground and not being able to get up from the ground you know being 80 years old or whatever age and like just thinking of like okay i'm here i'm doing all my somebodyness and i'm doing interviews and i'm making books and all that and then my mom's at home and she slipped and she mm -hmm. fell and she can't get up but if you come from a culture that gets up and down off the ground with regularity mm. you know so like um, you know southeast asia or northern africa or eastern mediterranean places like that there shouldn't have minimal to no instance of osteoarthritis of the hips really low in the knees uh, fall risk just doesn't exist mm. your body is is built in to go all the way down to the ground and all the way back up you know and then we kind of got this idea of you know like the disease of affluence or affluenza so it's like okay if i sit up on the chair above all of you then i'm kind of i'm back into my somebodyness mm. i'm in control i'm the boss you know i sit up in my range rover and then i sit in my prestigious leather chair and you know or maybe now i got like a standing desk you know because i'm progressive you know so now i stand in place while i stare into my screen you know and what we've been doing forever is we've been spending a lot of time on the ground. And as you're going down to the ground, you're mobilizing your knees, you're mobilizing your ankles, you're mobilizing your hips, you're cir circulating lymphatic fluid. The other way to, to move that fluid is through muscular contraction. So what I'm saying is our bodies have been, uh, it's like an internal healing mechanism. It's kind of like with your computer, it has like a you know, when it goes into sleep mode, it'll go in and kind of like restore the files and clean the files up. Essentially, that's what those positions in the book, I call them positions of repose. You know, so when you're resting, it's literally the other side of the coin of your fitness. Mm. You know, so the way that you sit, um, it's just as valuable as the way that you work out in the gym or do any of your more like active stuff. And it's important that if you are going to spend more time on the ground, um, to make it really comfortable and make it very inhabitable. How? You know, so you get, get a really comfy rug, get some like floor pillows, get some Moroccan poofs, you know, put it near a window, um, which is another part of exercising your physiology. Looking mm -hmm. out into the distance literally activates more of that parasympathetic side of your nervous system. When we're contracting our eyes through staring up close all day long, that contraction from that sense essentially is redistributed through the rest of the body. So if you're feeling stressed out, tense and contracted, and then you come home and you're like, man, I just need to take a break. I need to chill. Instagram. <laughs> you're literally making the problem worse. Mm. You know, what you really need is you need to put the phone down. You need to take a walk. You need to get sun exposure to your skin. You need to get sun exposure to your eyes. You need to look up into the trees, look up into the clouds. That will literally start to open you up at a cellular, emotional, physical, all the levels. Mm. If you open up any level, you open up the rest of the levels. You know, so the way that our world is structured, the mold that we inhabit presently is geared towards a direction of stress. You know, and so then when you look, like ADHD, medication for ADHD is going up uh, from 2008 to 2016. It's going up 89% with adolescents. You know, and so that's like the kids, like they want to move and they want to walk and they want to climb trees and they want to wrestle and they want to push and they want to play and mm -hmm. they want to express themselves sexually. You know, but instead we... <laughs> put all that down and then the person starts to kind of have a weird tick, you know, cause they're coming out of themselves. You know, we say, okay, well, we could change the environment. That would be expensive. Um, medication, you know? And so now all of a sudden we're altering their neurochemistry from the inside as opposed to altering their environment from the outside. So talk to me about that. What is uh, an environment that we should be cultivating? So we should be getting out and walking. Got that one. Walk. Looking at a distance. That's good. Yeah. Um, what, what else? Hang. 
Hang, what does that mean? Literally hang. Hang, yeah, it's super simple, man. Like all the simple stuff is, you know, it's, it's the most effective. In the book, I recommend it a minute and a half total each day. Um, you know, get a little pull-up bar, 30 bucks on Amazon or whatever get you, will get you there. Um, or I find a tree branch would be even better. And uh, literally just reach up. You can play with, you know, altering, contraction more of the index finger or pinky, kind of make it more dynamic if you want. But just that action of getting your arms up overhead and starting to decompress that shoulder girdle, you're starting to open up the ribs, open up the lungs, open up the heart. You know, so our viscera, our organs, they're not just these isolated bags inside of a vacuum. They function based off of your movement. You know, so we think of, oh, I'm going to do a liver cleanse. You know, I'm going to like change my physiology through what I put into my face. Meanwhile, we very rarely think about like, what about getting in and like actually coming in contact with these places? Um, but just taking a walk, you're, you could think of this visceral system kind of like a rag and you're twisting that rag out. If you have a bunch of gunk in that rag, in order to get the gunk out, you go activating your feet, all that tissue in your, your, your lower body. Um, it not only is good, like a nice foot massage, but it stimulates your brain um, by going up in different contours. You're teaching more sophistication in and around every joint through your body. You know, so have you ever tried slacklining? No. Okay. Well, so slack, have you ever seen someone try slacklining? Yes. It's fucking amazing. All right. Um, you know, so when a person is starting to slackline for the first time, they'll step their foot up onto the line. And typically the first reaction is their foot's like, <laughs> like crazy, you know, and what's happening there is they just don't have any sophistication in their nervous system in and around that hip and the ankle. And what happens is you start to cultivate that sophistication a little bit through just repetition, spending more time in that instable environment, mm. all of a sudden you can, you can calm down, you can press your foot down to the line, stand up, you can follow your breath. And you know, what we're doing in, from a movement perspective in the world is because we're taking away any potential for adaptation. We're making ourselves um, kind of almost like more of a, a dangerous body to operate. Your notion of like all these micro opportunities, I think is really, really interesting. And I want to walk people through just uh, since I've met you, which is now maybe 40 minutes ago, yeah. you showed up at the house without your shirt. Um, <laughs> when I greet you, you're laying on the floor and then you wanted to do yoga before we started. I said, no. Acro and yoga. then you, I don't know what that means. Okay. And then you... Uh, <laughs> took off your shoes to sit down. So it's like you legit are taking all of these micro opportunities. I haven't seen you hang yet, but I'll assume that you probably do take those opportunities as well. So, all right, those are four things. What are some other micro opportunities that we have? Are you getting up and down off the floor like a bunch of times throughout the day? I mean, think of a person that lives in, you know, a more like tribal environment or hunter gatherer, more like a natural setting. Mm. Um, naturally, their body's going to go through these ranges of motions. If you've spent in any time in like third world countries, which is kind of funny a term, the concept of exercise is very foreign. You know, so somebody wearing a bunch of like, like a neon vest and like a sun protective cap thing and they got their puffy sneakers on and they're like, exercising down the street people are like what the hell is going on like what planet are they from you know because they're investing themselves in all of those opportunities for adaptation just through the way that they live their life mm. um, you know so yeah i wrote the almost the whole book from either this position like i'm in kind of like a sukhasana type position now 
Um, or a lot of it was I was laying on my belly, you know, and I'd put a pillow underneath my hips so I'm not putting too much extension, extension in my lower back. Hmm. Um, you know, so what is that? Oh, that's the inverse of what I spent most of my life as a high school, middle school, where I'm trying to tell the teachers that I don't give a shit. You know, I'm trying to let people know that I'm very cool. You know, so I kind of walk around like this and, you know, what that is, is for me, it's protecting myself because if I fail, I was never even trying in the first place. Mm. You know, so I start to put on that posture of just so you know, guys, I don't actually care about any of this right now. Mm. But then eventually that kind of disinclined me or calloused myself from allowing people in. You know, so I started off posturally in this position of letting you know that I don't really care about this experience or you or anything because I actually don't want to be hurt by you because I maybe have fear of abandonment. Mm. And then eventually that posture sticks on to me and it affects the way that I communicate with people in my daily life. And then I start to go into this life of solitude. So you actually think this rabbit hole is really interesting. So talk to me about that. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what happened with your dad and how your life is a reaction to where you started. You said that you had a pretty sort of bright line at 18 that sent you on a whole new path. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really miraculous experience of, uh, my dad becoming really addicted to, to drugs, crack specifically, um, around when I was 16 and, um, yeah, he ended up, I mean, it was really bad. He was like, essentially on the very, he was hanging on to life by like a hair, you know, like the fact that he was like, I would literally rehearse his death every day, probably, I, I don't know, like a, a strange number of times, 80 to more than that times, just like going through like bracing, like, okay, like pretty sure this is it, you know, somebody come home and he's going to be, you know, overdosed or he's going to, I'm going to get a call. He's going to be gone. But the aftermath of that is, one, changing my, my posture, changing my emotions. I kind of went through like, uh, it's called anhedonia, which is essentially like feeling numb to the world. Like, no, I don't feel happy. I don't feel sad. Everything is just this kind of gray. And you know, so getting to experience that and then seeing the byproduct was I went into hiding in the form of bodybuilding. You know, so I went in and, you know, I think you can go like multiple directions with, with things like that. When you're in kind of a numb place, you can, you know, go off and maybe start hurting other people or you can go off and hurt yourself. Or maybe you start just doing the route that I did and just packing on muscle, you know, and kind of showing people that I'm strong and I'm in control. You know, so my home environment at the time felt like it was out of control. So then I go into excessive control and support in my body, you know, and then eventually that leads to the body snapping. You know, and so that learned, turned into various different injuries and chronic pain and stress and anxiety and all that. You know, it's like a, a building. You know, if you up or in, in a, you know, a high rise, you can feel the building kind of swaying a little bit. And if you don't know about architecture, you're like, oh my <laughs> God, like this is not okay. You're like, no, 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 like the swaying, like that's what keeps us alive. That's what keeps us safe. You know, so because I came from a place of feeling like, oh, I'm out of control, I go into hyper control, which eventually goes into a stiff building, which eventually can translate into like snapping. And that's the thing. That's where it gets really kind of sneaky is I was applauded, you know, and that's, you know, we get applauded for getting a fancier car, for getting more muscles, for getting fancier clothes, getting a fancier watch. You know, like those are the things that people see like, wow, you're really doing a great job, right. man. You know, you're like, okay, I need to do more of that. You know, but it's, it's not so often that we get applauded for like the inner parts because people don't really see that. You know, Ram Dass, another thing where he said, uh, you can't teach 
what you know, you can only teach what you are. You know, and so the person that is living their life, they're living their words, they're living their work, um, they're, that's what they're teaching. What you were about the whole time is how you actually live your life when nobody's looking. Mm. You know, and so that's, you know, I'm more interested in that now. Yeah, uh, that we share. So if hanging, um, walking barefoot, um, really testing yourself from different angles and doing natural things like squatting down and not losing sight of that. If that's the, the alignment method for the body, what's the align method for the mind? Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, all that is, is for the mind. Um, but then I, I also do value, uh, stillness, you know, meditation, so, stillness or something different. Both. Um, what's know, the different part? Um, I think that, well, so, so starting off just meditation, I think, uh, every time those thoughts come in to control us, and shake us up, we say, okay, cool. That's good. You know, it's totally fine. You know, and then we come back to that concentration point, you know, and then it comes through and shakes us up and come back to that concentration point. The same thing, how you can practice compassion. You know, I think a, a compassionate person isn't just a person that is like, oh, wow, like they're a great guy. It's like, no, like they worked. You know, if you're, compa- if you're a loving person, if you're a person that makes fe- people feel welcome, that's something that you cultivated. Like you actually intentionally made that be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so the same thing, I think gaining some semblance of connection or control or relationship would be a better word with your thoughts. Uh, I think stillness in the form of meditation, I think is like a great starting point. And that's been one of the most profound um, tools that I've had in my life. What kind of meditation do you do? Vipassana is the, is the one that I've, I've studied the most. So I did like a Vipassana 10 day. Is Vipassana sit. just silent? It's focusing on the breath to start uh, through the nose. Um, then you have the attention to start to focus on other parts throughout your body. You know, so then the Vipassana meditation is bringing awareness into the top of your head and the side of your face and your ears and your nose and your neck and your nipples and your belly, like all the way down through. Uh, it's almost like you're going through and starting to heal those different parts of yourself. You know, so when people have pain in their body, oftentimes they'll create a disconnect or disassociation, you know, and so what you're doing in that experience of just sitting down and taking away all of the distractions, so 100% of your bandwidth is going into what's happening inside of yourself, uh, you're almost like slowly starting to crack a light into those different parts that you've, you've disconnected from because they were too painful. And then, you know, he says, eventually you become enlightened. Is there a pain management aspect to that? Like in, yeah. the, in the awareness, is it, uh, have you done it? Is it, I've heard people talk about like imagining a dial and you're turning it down. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. So Gwenka, the, re- the reason that he got so enamored by meditation in the first place, uh, he's like one of the wealthiest people in India. He's, he's going now. Um, but he had these uh, really debilitating headaches. And so he's this wealthy businessman. He's got the whole world by the balls, but he's, his face feels like it's going to explode all day long. And he saw every doctor because he had all this money. So he went around the world, all the medications, like all the technology, everything he could do. And then finally he discovered this Vipassana meditation. And um, yeah, there's different little like tactics and tools that people play with. And then what I found is I would kind of go in and go deeper, 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 and try to visualize, see the pain, which is a strange thing to, to do, um, I'd find eventually you'd get to the bottom of it, and there was, there was several moments where I'd literally get to the bottom of it, and it would kind of like, poof, it would like combust, poof, go away. 
You know, so pain in the body, there's a guy called uh, Dr. John Sarno, wrote Mind Over Back Pain, and he claims that a very high percentage of people's chronic pain, he calls it tension myositis, is actually a product of repressed anger, repressed, you know, sadness, just general repression. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing when you start to go in and shine the light on those places of yourself that may have been repressed since maybe you were a little, little boy or little girl. And you start to really just like, whatever it is, I see you and I accept it and I love it. A lot of people carry shame around having a penis or having a vagina or even taking their shirt off. Like, why are you so okay with wearing a shirt or wearing the watch or all those things? Like, that's not even your skin and you're proud of it. You know, but you have all this shame wrapped around the stuff underneath that. You know, so it feels to me as if we can get to a point where we have complete, utter acceptance of every aspect of ourselves, all of a sudden it's like, you know, we start to do that with other people and, you know, the world becomes more loving. How do you, so one, I love the notion of accept yourself, but I also love the notion of, and I'm so curious to see how you react to this, you're not good enough yet. Mm. So for me, it's like this constant knowing when to push on one and when to push on the other. So anytime where you're eroding your sense of self, I think that's problematic. And if you're thinking and believing something that is tearing you down and making you like yourself less, I would say don't do that. Mm. Um, But at the same time, if you want to achieve something extraordinary, even to go deep into meditation is a sense of I could have more peace. I could feel better in some way. And so it's crossing that chasm of skill set. And so knowing when to go, ah, I'm not good at this yet. I want to get better. I'm going to force myself to stay focused, even though I don't want to go back and sit down and do another Vipassana meditation session. I'm going to because I want to be able to, you know, heal the pain somewhere in my body or whatever the thing of connection is that you're trying to do. Um, I find that there has to be a desire to be in a different state. So how do you balance the like complete acceptance with, but also there are things that I want to accomplish? Yeah. Well, so I think oftentimes in conversations like this, it's easy for a person to put them in a position of like arrival, you know, and okay, cool, I've arrived and, you know, I'm up here and let me tell you how you do that. Um, I mean, I go through self-worth stuff like before coming over here, you know, like it's a regular daily experience for me. Um, and I think that within that, I, I think talking about it is a really big deal, you know, because I think we try to protect ourselves behind all the things that I already mentioned. And then I protect and then you protect to counter that. And then we kind of live this like buffered relationship. Uh, it's important, I think, to talk about these things, you know, and make a, make a point to say, you know what, like, yeah, I'm dealing with self-worth stuff or I'm dealing with I don't feel good. Like it's, it's, it's OK to not feel OK. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I think that it's OK to want something different. But the, the journey is in really embracing and loving the moment now. And then naturally, more like the child, he or she is able to move within that field of gravity and naturally find that new motion. And they'll, wow, now I'm squatting and now I'm standing. And now, oh, I fell. And, oh, oh, I push up and I come back and I, well, I'm going through this journey. Wow, I'm back. I'm standing. And everyone's like, wow, you're so beautiful. It's amazing. But meanwhile, the kid had no idea that its end goal was to, you know, stand or walk or whatever. It was just kind of dancing and moving and enjoying that sensation of pushing and twisting and turning. You know, so I think that if you miss out on your life, essentially, because you're always trying to go for that, arrive at that place, 
the place won't come because you're patterning yourself for that mindset that some point I'll be there. Now, so as, if that's your mindset that you're patterning, there's no such thing as there. It's just false summit after false summit after false summit. So the sooner that you can get to the point more like that child and enjoy the process of rolling over to your side and standing up and walking and smiling, um, and then eventually you will arrive. You know, but I, I think that it's, it's valuable, valuable to have goals, but you, need, you want to be able to appreciate the moment and, and the, the journey as you're going. Well said. Where can people find out more about you? Mm. Well, the book. Uh, the Align Method book comes out December 24th. It'll be on pre-sale at thealignbook.com. And then um, there'll be some bonuses and such that people can get with that if they get it on pre-sale. And then afterwards, any bookstore, anywhere you find books. And then I host the Align Podcast. And um, yeah, everything's Align Podcast. So social media is Align Podcast. Instagram is where I'm most, I frequent the most uh, as I'm slowly weaning myself away from my cell phone addiction. But that's the place that I'm at the most. Nice. If you were going to have people make one change that would have the biggest impact on their health, what change would you have them make? <sighs> Can I say one and a half? Sure. Okay. So the one, tan- two, the one tangible thing, uh, like mechanical, do it right now, is literally just spend more time on the ground. Um, you know, so that literally could be like keep your couch and just bring your legs up on the couch mm-hmm. or maybe, you know, lie down on your back more often, put your feet up on the side, like look at your chair apparatus as more of an opportunity for wellness. You know, so if you see a, again, back to the kid, romanticizing the kid, uh, get onto a chair, they don't see it the way that adults see it. It's like, okay, I sit and place and I kind of hunch over and then I get the phone out and like, okay, whew, I'm doing it. You know, they're like, oh, and they want to twist and turn and explore. You know, so look at all of the stuff, even in Western culture, all of those are just opportunities if we just kind of change the filter that we perceive it. Um, So, and just spend more time on the ground in general. And then um, the less tangible thing, I think, is um, I think actively cultivate compassion, to go back to what we were saying before. Like, make that be a focus today is when you're out in the world, when you have those opportunities of someone kind of doing something that would like trigger you, um, see it as an opportunity to be able to help as opposed to just an opportunity to be able to like swat them down. Mm. Um, you know, so actively cultivate compassion, I think would be the thing that I would say. Nice. I like both of those. Mm. Guys, this dude definitely lives what he talks. I will just vouch for everything in the hour and a half that I have known him. It has been spot on exactly the stuff that he preaches. So I can't give it a higher recommendation than that. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.